Let's pray together. Father, that indeed is our prayer. Lord, it indeed is our prayer that we want more of you. Father, in fact, we we meet in this place in vain if you're not here. And Lord, we know that you're everywhere, that you are omnipresent. But yet, Lord, we, we want to feel you in this place. We want to be aware of your nearness, Lord. Father, we can go through the motions of worship. But Lord, I I pray that our desire would not just be to externally do things, because that's what we've always done, but Lord, that inwardly, that we would have a heart that is yearning for more of You. So Lord, transform us as we behold Your Word today. In Jesus' name, Amen. Back in 2002, a website was founded called Ashley Madison. It was created as an online relationship platform and it was aimed at those who are married or were in committed relationships. Their motto was, life is short, have an affair. The site was aimed to make adultery look fun and adventurous. On July 22, 2015, hackers stole all the user data and released the names to the world. And what happened was, for those names who were on the list, adultery became as serious as it really is. Things were fun and games, but as soon as that list was released, all of a sudden people started realizing that adultery is more serious than they thought it was. This morning I want to talk about adultery, but not the kind between a husband and a wife. This morning I want to talk about adultery with God. And that's exactly what we're going to read about here in Isaiah chapter 1. Many of us make peace with another lover. Many of us make peace with our sin. And we try to love our sin and we try to love God at the same time. We try to live our lives our way, Christians, and and at the same time we, we show up for worship and we go through the motions of worship thinking that we're getting brownie points with God. And that's exactly what's happening in, in Isaiah chapter 1. God is rebuking Israel because they're going through the motions of worship while inwardly they are filled with unrepentant sin. Inwardly they're filled with a love for idols. This is what one commentator, he said, one commentator said. He said, it seems that they treated their worship as a way of manipulating God. They also mixed in elements of a Canaanite religion. So uh, we see in, in Isaiah 1 that the people are running after other gods. They're chasing after other lovers. And all the while, they are showing up for worship. All the while, they're showing up and going through the motions. And God speaks a word to them. But not only are we going to see that He speaks a word to them, but we're going to see this morning that He speaks a word to us. He speaks a word to us. And what He's going to tell us is 
God is going to call us to repent and not to go through the motions of religion. Join with me as we read Isaiah chapter 1, and if you're able, please stand as we honor the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 10, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the teaching of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What to me is the multitude of your sacrifices, says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of well-fed beasts. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or of goats. When you come before me to appear before me, who is required of you the trampling of my courts? Bring no more vain offerings. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath and the calling of convocations. I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. Your new moons and your appointed feasts my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Remove the evil of your deeds from before your eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Correct oppression. Bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's case. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Thank you. You may be seated. We see two things in this passage, two, two acts, if you will, as this unfolds. And the first one is that God rebukes. And the second one is that God invites. First of all, God rebukes. The very first thing that we notice about this passage is God's feeling towards His people's worship. I mean, just, just read along with me and notice some of the things He says. He says, I have had enough. He says, I do not delight in your sacrifices. He calls what they do a trampling of His courts. He says to them, bring no more vain offerings. He tells them that their incense that they would burn to, to worship is an abomination to Him. He said, my soul hates your religious celebrations. They've become a burden to Him. I am weary of bearing them, He says. He says that He will hide His eyes from them. That when they call out to Him in prayer, He's not going to answer. That's pretty strong language. I mean, think about what, what would that look like if God was speaking to us today. I mean, it, it would sound something like, I've had enough of your worship services. I've had enough of your singing. It's an abomination to me. Stacy. I think you're doing a great job, by the way. I will hide my face from you. I'm not going to listen when you pray to me and ask for blessing. Your Sunday's best clothes are hideous before me. I mean, we, we think about these things that it, when we think about them in our language today, what God would speak to our worship, it starts to hit home that God has very strong 
feelings about what Israel is doing. Why does he feel this way? Well, we see two reasons here in the passage. And the first one is their unrepentant sin. Internally, their unrepentant sin. Notice what he says in verse 13. He says, I cannot endure iniquity and solemn assembly. The iniquity, of course, was Israel's wickedness, their idolatry, their chasing after other things, their disobedience to the Lord. The people were being disobedient. Catch this. They were being disobedient, but they were still showing up on Sunday, sitting in a worship service, and hoping that by their attendance that God was going to be pleased. When we look at this, it reminds me of James chapter 4, where James addresses specifically the church. This is what he says. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it's no purpose that the Scripture says He yearns jealously over the Spirit that He's made to dwell in us? And of course, the, the point behind all of this is that God cannot tolerate people living in unrepentant disobedience, chasing after idols all the days of their life, and then showing up and going through the motions of worship. There's a problem there when God's people think that they can live however they want, that they cannot pursue God, and that they can show up and that God is going to bless their activity of going through the motions, of externally worshiping. Jesus speaks some of the harshest words to these types of people. This is what He says. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin, and you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee, first clean the outside, inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness." Christian, if you're a Christian in this room this morning, listen to me. I can't, get, I can't get more serious about this. We must not forget that our God is a holy God. We must not forget that He is holy. And not just that He is holy, but He calls His people to be holy. We come in this place and we expect God to move when we've ignored Him all week. We, we come in this place and expect to hear from God when we click on things and watch images all week that God despises. We yell at our wives. We yell at our families. And we come in this place and we expect God to hear our prayers. We refuse to meet with God all week. 
We refuse to get into His Word. We refuse to pray. And yet we come in this place, we put on a show, and we say, God, You meet with me on my terms now. We come into this place after all week long we pursued our idols. After we've worshipped other gods. After we've gone our own way and we expect God to bless us. God is saying very clearly through the prophet Isaiah, I can't take, I cannot endure when my people are filled with idolatry and are filled with iniquity. They're not repenting and yet they show up, put on a smile, and act like everything is okay in their lives and they worship me and go through the motions and put on a show. Now, we do need to point out that we will never be completely without iniquity. Nor does God expect us to be. When we see this passage immediately, we think, well, what we need to do is we need to stop being unrighteous. And that's, that's not at all what He's saying. What God is calling out at His people is the unrepentant, arrogant heart that they come to worship with. God is not calling us to be completely sin-free. He knows that's never going to happen. But what God is calling us to is to be humble and repent. To be humble and repent. God doesn't accept us. And you've heard me say this so many times. God doesn't accept us because we are righteous. But rather we are righteous and we strive for righteousness because God accepts us. God accepts us through Christ calls us to holiness, and then empowers us with the Holy Spirit that we might strive for change. That we might strive for holiness. If you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I don't want you to hear me wrongly. I don't want you to hear me say, well, it's just like, just like I thought. You know, the preacher gets up there and says, well, we, we just got to clean up our act. We don't hold out to you that you must be perfect. And if you're not a Christian, I want you to hear me very clearly on this. That we don't, we, don't, we don't say to you that you need to get your act together and then you come to the Lord. No, we're saying you come just as you are. God will accept you just as you are. And as He meets you and as you know Him more and more, He will transform you. He will give, He will do the work of transformation. He will do the work of making us holy and like Him. It's not just the internal sin for Israel, but it's also their external sin. Look at the second reason that God feels this way about their worship. It's how they treated others. How they treated others. Look in verse 17 especially. Verse 17, he, he tells them, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, and then here it is, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Now immediately I think of James 1.27. James tells the church something very similar. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, to keep oneself unstained from the world. James hones in on that. He says this is, what it, this is what it means to have true religion. This is what it means to truly worship God. That you take care of the vulnerable. That you take care of the widows. You take care of the orphans. And that's the very same two people that Isaiah highlights here. He says, bring justice to the fatherless and plead the widow's cause. Now in that day of, of James, and even further back in the day of Isaiah, those were two of the most vulnerable people groups that there were. 
And you think about an orphan, and I mean, it really still is today. But when you think about a widow, you think, well, aren't widows, can't they kind of make their own way? Aren't they good? You know, do they really need help? But back then, they really did. Back then, when their spouse died, they were left with nothing. And the only way that they could make it was for God's people to care for them. Does that mean that we should just look after the widow and the orphan and say, well, that's it? No, I think God is calling His people to care for the oppressed in general. To bring about justice. To bring about compassion. To serve the weak. To serve the oppressed. And as I think about that, do we take seriously care for the oppressed? Do we take seriously injustices that happen to the weak? I mean, when was the last time that that we cared so much about the weak that we helped people in our community who couldn't help themselves? When was the last time that, that we gave the hungry something to eat? When was the last time that we sought after those who were poor in the community and tried to help them and expect nothing in return? God is confronting His people because they have turned a blind eye to other people. In fact, in Matthew 25, Jesus speaks some very harsh words when He tells people that the final judgment will be based basically on how you treat other people. He said He's going to separate the saved from the lost and He's going to say to the saved that we came to Him in His time of need. That He was hungry and we gave Him something to eat. That He was thirsty and we gave Him something to drink. And we're going to say, Lord, when did we do that for You? Lord, Lord when, did we, when did we serve You in these ways? And He's going to say, What you did for the least of these, you did for me. Can I just be blunt for a second and say, I think that we have gotten so centered on sharing the gospel, which that's good, that we have started neglecting caring for the weak. We've bought into the the lie that, well, if we're going to share the gospel, that's all we have time to do. We can't serve people's physical needs. We just got to share the gospel. And what you see in the counsel of God's Word is that you have to do both. You don't just get to ride in there and and, and tell them a message. They're not going to even hear it because they're starving. You can't just ride in and say, well, let let me tell you about my Jesus when their roof is about to fall in and they can't even focus because they have needs. Church, God is calling His people to serve the weak, to serve the oppressed. Are we doing that? Are we doing that? Because if we're not, I think the same words that God speaks to His people Israel will be said of us as well. I mean, as we gather in a place, how, I mean, how is God going to overlook our sin of how we treat other people when we say we're going to refuse to take care of the poor, when we're going to refuse to serve other people, and yet we meet in this place and say, God, you're all I want. And I, I just see Him saying, just like to them, I've had enough. Go take care of people. Treat other people well. Share the gospel with other people. So God rebukes His people. God rebukes His people. But the second thing that we see in this passage is something very encouraging. God doesn't just rebuke, but He pursues. We serve a pursuing God. We serve a God who was not content to let Israel just go their own way. Even though Israel was chasing after idols, God stepped in and God confronted them. And then we see secondly in this passage that God invites them. 
Just like He invites us. Notice what He says there in verse 18. Come, let us reason together. This is courtroom language that He's using here. It means to to argue out something together. Like in a court of law, how people argue it out. God is saying, come come on, let's argue this out together. I'm not willing to just let you go and never pursue you. Come, come and let's, let's argue this out. Let's reason this out together. And notice what God says. He promises forgiveness. God promises that Israel's sin could be forgiven if they repent. Notice what he says there in in poetic language. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. Isaiah uses this metaphor to describe the extent of God's forgiveness. One commentator puts it like this, the sins that are as obvious as the color red, God will wash away. And the ones who are sinful will be transformed. God is promising His people if they repent, He will forgive them. If they repent, He will forgive them. And notice He gives them a choice. Obedience or rebellion. I want you to notice a word play that's happening here. He says, if you are willing and obedient, you shall eat the good of the land. But if you rebel, you shall be eaten by the sword. God's laying it out for His people Israel here. He's saying, you will either eat the good of the land, you will eat good, or you will be eaten. He gives the people a choice. You obey or you rebel. And church, y'all come in here real close. We've got a choice to make today. We've got a choice to make. Are we going to obey? Are we going to clear the stage of our, of our lives and of our hearts and say that God is the main focus? He is the one that we desire Are we going to say that we're going to pursue holiness as He empowers us? Are we going to say that we're going to quit playing games with God and we're going to actually pursue Him? Or are we going to continue in rebellion and say, just like the people of Israel, we're we're good, we're going to keep the iniquity in our hearts and go through the motions of worship. And I can say to us, just like God spoke to Israel, that doesn't end well. That doesn't end well for us. We have to make a choice this morning. What will it be for you? In just a moment, we're going to sing. And as we sing, I'm going to ask that you examine yourselves. That you examine your your motives. Are you, like Israel, one who you chase after idols? You're not pursuing the Lord. You're not pursuing holiness. You're not trying to be like Him. And yet you come in this place and say, well, you know what? My religious activity is sitting in a pew on Sundays. And if I can just be honest with you, 
That's a great number of us. I say us, myself included. That's a great number of us. Let's examine ourselves. We see that God rebukes. Are we pursuing obedience? Are we pursuing genuine worship? Or are we chasing after idols? We see secondly that God invites. Will we live lives of repentance and obedience? Or will we chase after vanity and sin? God is calling us to repent. God is calling Mount Carmel Baptist Church to repent. God is calling Mount Carmel Baptist Church and its, its people to say, you know what, we're, we're not content with chasing after other gods, but we want the true God. We want to pursue Him with passion. And if you're a Christian here this morning and you'd say, you know, I, I'm a Christian, I've trusted Christ, I know that I'm forgiven, I know that I'm one of God's people, maybe you're here this morning and you're realizing that you're not pursuing Him the way that you should. Maybe you're realizing, might even be for the first time, that you've been here for 10, 20, 30 years, and yet you've become comfortable with the fact of your religion being a Sunday morning religion. You may be in this place and you, uh, you're going through the motions of worship even though your lips and your heart are far from it. This morning, I invite you let me put it a different way. This morning, God invites you to come and reason together. To repent and find that He'll cleanse us. To come and find that we don't clean up ourselves, but He'll do it for us if we repent. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, realize that God is holy and you're not. Realize that you are more sinful than you ever could have imagined that you are. When you think about your sinfulness, it's worse than you think. But at the same time, when you think about God's grace, it is more than you could have ever dreamed. That God will have you if you run and cling to Christ. If you cling to Christ, you will receive acceptance by God. You will be forgiven by God. And you're going to find that you become a very child of God. As we close in prayer and as we transition to a time of invitation, that's exactly my question to you. What is your choice going to be? Are you going to continue running after idols or are you going to chase after the true God? The altars will be open. And if you, if you feel like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm chasing after idols, then I'm going to invite you to do something, and that is to get up from your seat in just a moment as we sing. Why are we doing that? Why would I call on people to do that? Because as we physically move to a new location, a lot of times that is symbolic of our heart saying, you know what, I am moving from a point of disobedience to obedience. And if that's you this morning, I invite you to come and to pray. If you're here this morning, you're not a Christian, and you say, I, I want to receive this this morning, as I stand down front, I ask you just to come and take my hand and let's talk. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Your word that convicts us. Your word that changes us. And God, I confess to you that today we're so full of idols.
if there was a spiritual Ashley Madison site, we've signed up on it. And God, we come in this place week after week, the same old game that we play. God, we're tired of playing games. God, we're tired of running after idols. We're tired of neglecting You, Lord, and then coming in here and expect You to bless us. So, Lord, we pray that You would forgive us. That You would transform us. Father, we trust Your Spirit. We know that Your Spirit is what enables this change. And so, Lord, would Your Spirit come and fill us? Would You convict us, each individually, those who call themselves Christians, that we would pursue holiness, that we would pursue righteousness, that we would pursue the vulnerable and the weak, that we would be the hands and the feet of Christ, Lord, call us back to the true meaning of what worship is.